The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and solely those of the podcast participants, contributors, and guests, and do not constitute an endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of the Hartford or its affiliates. You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by the Hartford. Good morning, and welcome back to another episode of Small Biz Ahead, the small business podcast presented by the Hartford. Uh, this is John Adeconis. I am joined by my co-host, Gene Marks, and we have a very special guest, Sammy Cabrosley of Snacklins. Um, and we are here to talk a little bit about food manufacturing in a post-COVID world. First and- off, let's give you a round of applause. That's the first, that's the best pronunciation of my last name <laughs> of all time. <laughs> Sammy, how did your mom pronounce it again? Oh, well, it's like, so I'm from Tunisia originally, so it's Cabrosley. But, dude, you did not slaughter it, and I'll take that all day long, man. Thank Thank you you very much. (laughs) That is perfect. Hey, so, Sammy, this is Gene talking. So um, tell us a little bit about Snacklins. First of all, tell us about the company and also what you do with the company. Yeah, so uh, Snacklins is probably the biggest joke that's gotten really out of hand at this point. Um, It really started off as me being a Muslim. I never had a pork rind, and friends of mine would kind of tease me and be like, oh, man, you should make a vegan pork rind. That would be hilarious. And so this kind of joke to make a vegan pork rind ended up working one day. Uh, but when we had it, we kind of realized that it was more than just this, you know, plant-based chicharron. It was like this crunchy, airy, salty, delicious chip that was made with fresh vegetables, and it was like low in calories. So it was like junk food without the junk. And that's kind of when the snackland snowball really started to roll was once we realized that this joke actually had leg, and it wasn't just to get us free beer anymore. So. <laughs> Fair That's enough. Awesome. And what's your role there? Uh, yeah, so technically I was uh, I was the co-founder, so I started this off. Uh, since then, we've kind of grown as a team quite substantially, and I've kind of settled into my role as uh, – I call myself the chief snack bagger. Uh, that's made up, clearly. Uh, I do a lot of the product development, all the R&D, and I kind of, you know, take care of I'm, – I'm the factory guy. I really like being in the factory. Uh, I like being here when they're making the product, and so – I've kind of evolved into more of a uh, product development, like I guess, like I said. Got it. Okay, fair enough. I really like factories. Like I'm not good with – I don't like computers and numbers. I love machines. I'm like four years old at heart. (laughs) You know, you had said that um, before, you know, we were kind of doing a little pre-interviewing and getting some information for you. We we found you on the Hartford Small Biz Ahead because you you had some questions regarding just the future of – grocery and shopping you also had some yeah. questions well, you know about manufacturing processes that you wanted to you know keep even if they they may or may not make economic sense um so let, let's start with both of those i mean you know what do you mean when you say the future of grocery and shopping behavior i mean i think that even without the past six months of a global pandemic we knew that things were changing right like already kind of noticed that my shop, like, and I'm a, I'm an old school shopper. So like I went to the market with my mom in the morning, you know, I go to the grocery store multiple times a week. I'm old school like that, but I realized that that's not where it is now. And I was kind of curious as to what you guys really thought was the future. Is it going to be that you're still going to go to the grocery store, but it's mainly going to be like going to a mall now where you're just kind of going to look at the things and you're going to go home and try to buy it online. Uh, Really? Where's that evolution, especially being in the food industry like us, you know, selling a packaged chip, packaged snack product, you know, to us, it's really trying to figure out where is it really going? You know, I find myself buying three whole punches on Amazon, but not my (laughs) vegetables. You know what I mean? And so is that like, 
do you guys foresee that happening? Is there like a change coming? Like, I don't know. I was just curious to see what you guys thought about this being the professionals. Yep. John, what do you think? So that's interesting. So I was actually just kind of like nose deep in a an insights report on kind of like youth shopping trends, kind of like since March and, and before and after a lot of the, the stay-at-home orders. What I found super interesting is that the lack of access to a physical retail environment has kind of created the sense of like nostalgia and in some level of like romanticization, right, of kind of being back in like the downtowns, the main streets, and really kind of like experiencing retail and, and consumer behavior, which I thought was great because I'm kind of like you, Sammy, like I like to experience what I'm buying. I don't always trust it when it comes online, but on the counter, right, to kind of keep things going, so many retailers and even traditional kind of like local brick and mortars are really looking for ways to kind of have an online presence now just to survive another day. So it's going to be interesting how it shakes out because, I, you know, it's a guess and I'm by no means a clairvoyant, but I think what we're going to see is that a lot of places are finally going to kind of accelerate their e-commerce abilities and when able, consumers are going to want to go back. And I think especially, you know, to your point, like to true markets, like local retailers, kind of those those hearts of the community, because I think they just miss it so much right now. But with that said, I think, you know, maybe it's something where we saw retail go, you know, over the past five, 10 years, where if it's something where kind of it's like your good old standard, like baking soda, do you, do you need to touch it and, and see it and, and try it? No, you can probably order that and, and get it cheaply online. But I think what we're going to see is kind of a shift back to small business and probably away from the big box stores where people have some sense of like trust. You know, they know the proprietor, they can kind of feel safe physically, because um, I think that's going to be a continued concern. But I think that people are going to want to have a little bit more control and a more of an intimate relationship with what they buy and how they buy it. No, I think I 100% agree. I was actually just in my head when you were talking that just realizing, oh, my gosh, without even without even knowing it myself, I had done exactly what you what you said, where when that first rush kind of came, I remember looking for flour like every other American. I was trying to bake bread. Right. And I was looking for flour. <laughs> I was looking for I toilet paper. Right. And I couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere. And next thing you know, I'm literally randomly at this like Turkish store up by where my child lives. And I go in there and I see the guy is selling a 50 pound bag of flour. And I'm like, yo, I'll take it. Yep. And I bought that flour and I still have that flour clearly. You know what I mean? It's 50 pounds. Right. But. I've noticed that I've actually started to go back to that guy's store. Anytime I'm out where my kid lives, I go to that person's store and I've kind of created this relationship where like, I don't even really like, I can get tahini at a Whole Foods, right? But for some reason I'm like, oh, I have to buy tahini. Oh, I'm going to go see this guy next week. I'll go do that. And I've kind of naturally gone to this, like, yeah, yeah, I think you're 100% right. I didn't really realize it, but I guess I've done exactly what you said. So maybe you are clairvoyant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to chime in here and I'm not sure I agree with either of you guys. And I'm going to tell you the reason why. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're living in a world now where people have uh, a lot of choices and, and there are different people that prefer um, different ways to buy their stuff. I mean, look at it now. I mean, there's the way the population is. Some people like to get their news on newspapers. Some people like to get it online. Some people like videos. Some people like, you know, to hear radio, you know, or, or podcasts. There's a lot of different ways to get content. And there's a lot of different ways to buy your products, Sammy. And the, the I think the, 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 and the answer that you don't want to hear is, you know, but it's, I think reality is that you, you've got to have multiple channels. Like, I don't, I don't think you can just focus on that small mom and pop grocery store because, yes, you are right. There is a percentage of people that will want to go to those small mom and pop stores, but there's also going to be an equal percentage of people that prefer to buy their stuff online or some people that like to go to Whole Foods or, or to Gennardi's or, you know, wherever. Um, you know, that's just 
because because they want the choice to do that. And I think a lot of businesses that I watch right now, the ones that are just straight brick and mortar, or the ones that are just you know they're 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 doing it just the same you know customers that they that they were doing five years ago. I think they're they're missing out because they're not they're not expanding to other channels. And I think you've got to you've got to believe it or not, I've got to be addressing you know your prospects and your customers in all these different areas. I mean, I don't know if that depresses you or not because that's expensive, <laughs> but no. it's kind of what it is. It. No, I totally get it. I mean, you know, like I always kind of jokingly say, I'm like, hey, but where are the cool kids buying stuff though? You know, how are they buying stuff? Now? <laughs> yeah. And that's you know that's kind of what we're focused on. I think that's you know part of being small is that you may have a lot more hurdles, but the nice thing is you got a much smaller truck. So you're like, you're trying to pull a U-turn in a Fiat versus a 53-foot semi-truck. You know what I mean? Right. And so we can make these changes. Also, real quick, just want to say you, I appreciate the Gennardi shout-out, man. It's been a minute. So <laughs> I'm a big Gennardi's. I'm also a big Wegmans fan as well. So Dude, I'm yeah, Gennardi's, okay. man. That's it's... For people that don't know, you you probably if you have a Safeway now, it probably was a Gennardi's back in the day right. here in the Northeast. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah in Connecticut, we have the we Stop and Shop and Shaw's and ShopRite, and I feel like all the Shaw's are now gone. Right. Except for the, there's one over like the tunnel in Boston. It's not even the tunnel. It's like when you're driving up the Mass Pike, if it's still there, and it's like the semblance of my childhood grocery shopping. I tell you the other thing that's that I think is um, it, it's happening and it's happening quicker than a lot of people give credit for is the whole you know Amazon you know cashierless stores. Um, they've got you know a dozen Amazon Go stores opening. They have plans to open up a, you know thousands of them over the next five years. And some other supermarkets are going the same way where, you know, they're, they're small grocery stores. You walk in, you pull the item off the shelf, you zap it with a QR code on your phone. You've got the Amazon app. So with your credit card and then you just, you know, you just throw it in your bag and you walk out the store. And you know, people want fast, fast convenience to buy their stuff. So then you've got you've, you've got that population too. You know, you've got all these people that are some. There's like you said, Sammy. They're the cool kids, you know. And they, you know, where you know that might be where some of the cool kids shop going forward is is the Amazon Go type model. And I think as a a, a food producer or a snack producer, you've got to be prepared to go after all those different channels um, if you want to maximize yourself. If you can't. If you can't, then the only thing I can I can recommend to you is because uh, you've got limited resources like everybody else is, you're going to just have to make a bet on which two or three channels are going to really be the you know the biggest, and then and focus on that. That's you know that's my thought. You know. Now we're lucky because we're shelf stable, so that makes sense to me, right? We can ship yeah. that. It can go there. Now, is there any sort of like particular facet of the food industry that you never foresee going online? <laughs> well, I mean, again, John, I, I don't, I don't want to jump in here first. What are your thoughts on that? So I don't know, right? So online shopping is one of those things that still confuses me as a person. So I can spout out like all the stats I see, right? But I don't know if I actually instinctually believe any of them. But I, I think that everything will eventually end up. I think, you know, in my head, it's like the things that are perishable, but you can already get that, right? So, like, the Amazon Whole Foods merger was was kind of, I think, a big signal to say, like, we can ship and sell anything online, um, even if it's, like, organic, locally sourced vegetables, which is nothing I ever thought of, right? Um, I think what what's kind of interesting is, like, how will that play out in terms of, like, category performance over time? 
So, you know, Sammy, kind of like you, so I, I'm someone who doesn't even buy clothes online unless it's something like super specific that I can only get from like an online retailer, but I like to touch fabric. You know, I'm not really a huge like try-on guy, right? But like, I like to kind of know what I'm getting because a, a really good picture can be really deceiving. Um, and I kind of take that approach with things that, you know, other things. So like if it's, you know, any kind of personal you know, like food, hygiene product, like those are the things I kind of want to know where I'm getting them from and, and see them, um, which might just be kind of like the the older soul, like the older aged millennial me, right? Um, but I haven't really let that go. So I don't know, Gene, to your question and Sammy the years, I think everything will go online. I just don't know how everything will perform over time. Yeah, and I, I think it's anything. I, I think the staples like milk and bread and meat, you know, those kinds of things are are never going to go, never going to be really popular online because let's face it, those are the kind of things you just buy as you need it. They, they expire very quickly and they don't make good for an online thing. But the tipping point for online will be, you know, um, will be cost. I mean, we we were ordering a ton of stuff on Instacart and uh, you know, in Uber Eats and, you know, and from, and from our local stores, or the grocery store shop, you know, you know, whatever. And it was expensive, you know, I mean, not only are the price are a little bit more, but then you have to pay the delivery charge and tip the delivery person. And, uh, you know, and it's, we stopped doing that because we're like, Hey man, I'd rather risk COVID than pay that extra $10 fee. Jesus. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I think the tipping point is when it gets to the point where it is just as cheap to buy it online, all your food stuff, as well as, you know, uh, going to the store. I think there will be a lot of things like paper towels and toilet paper and, you know, laundry detergent, stuff like that, that I think more and more people will buy online as things go on. Hey, Sammy, not just only because from, from a matter of time, you had asked another question which intrigued me about manufacturing processes. You know, you're yeah. – specifically about holding on to key processes, even at a smaller scale. What, what did you mean by that? Uh, so I kind of, you know, was trying to take like the example of us, right? Um, so we do manufacture our own product. Um, but when you kind of peel it back, it's because we're manufacturing only a certain process, correct? And I guess we're trying to find out if you have found any value in other companies um, in doing that same way, kind of almost like doing a consultant style uh, for their manufacturing. So let's say if you are baking cookies, right, and you have this great flour factory right by you that you can get amazing flour, maybe you're just doing all the mixing in one spot, but then 100 miles up the road, there's a place that can cook your entire month's worth of dough in like eight hours because they've been, it's someone like Keebler, right, who's been baking cookies for right. right? And so I was curious, like, if you have found out, like, are there certain key manufacturing practices that people should hold on to in their house? Or, I mean, you guys have seen Shark Tank. I was on it, too. And, I mean, every like you seem to see like half the sharks got out the second they heard I was manufacturing myself, and I didn't want to go to use a copac. Yeah. And I was I, just kind of curious as to where what your guys' thoughts were on all that. See, I kind of I – don't, I don't agree with the Shark Tank guys on, on many different things, but there's, there's certain things that I do agree with. And, and you know, it, it's a very specialized world that we live in, Sammy, you know, and – Gone are the days. I know you used the example of Keebler, or you know, we have. I have a big Nabisco plant near me where I live in Philly, and and which smells amazing. Um, but they, you know, they more and more over the years have just outsourced more and more. I mean, there used to be back in the day, you had the manufacturing plants that did it all from soup to nuts, and nowadays it's just it's a contracting world, 
and it's a specialized, you know, environment. And um, and I'm just having this conversation right now with another client. They do manufacture. They actually coat and film a paper and film products. They cut them and they roll them and they provide coating and and converting of them. And you know, we're like, you know, this is too much, man. Like you only got a hundred employees. You gotta you gotta cut back some of these product lines and have somebody else do the work outside and just focus on what your core your core thing is, you know what I mean? And I think that's what you've got to keep in mind. You've got to say, you know, we, we can't do it all and we've got to focus on what our core process is that we do best. What is it that you guys do best? I mean, I know you like to be on the floor. So what is it that you can, that you, you think you, you guys do really well? So I think what makes a snackland really unique is our use of fresh vegetables, right? Um, everyone else that's making a, pea puff or a bean chip or something like that. Those are all dried legumes, usually, and dried uh, dehydrated vegetables. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that a fresh piece of garlic tastes better than a garlic, you know, in a powder form. Yep. And so our big thing was that we were using these fresh vegetables, these beautiful fresh mushrooms that we get from Pennsylvania, fresh onions, and we're making this delicious snackling chip, and we actually kind of make it right before it's fried. Uh, when we were initially looking at it to install the frying machine, the seasoning tumblers, the baggers. I mean, that's a that's a massive expense for someone like us, right? And then we started looking, and there's companies out there, you know, co-packers or co-manufacturers or facilities that can fry thousands of bags of chips in minutes where it would take us a full shift to do that. And so with our kind of example was we kind of, we realized that we were really, really good at making that, that unfried snacklin'. And then we can kind of find places to fry it. Uh, that also was a logistical reason, too. I mean, clearly, bags of chips are all air, right? Fair enough. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think that's what you need to be focusing on. And I think that all those other extraneous things you just mentioned uh, should be considered to be, you know, you know to, to be subcontracted out. I know we have only have a minute or so left. John, do you have any final thoughts on that? I, I, well, I think you have a really interesting product. And I think especially right now, you know, snacks are – I think what most people are enjoying most of their days. Um, so to your point to have junk food without the drunk, the junk food without the junk is pretty compelling, right? So, I, you know, I hope that you can kind of, you know, get some, some broader distribution going and get your product in front of people because it seems like a really interesting one and I'm excited to see where it goes. But, you know, I, I say don't, don't turn away too far from like the, the local brick and mortars. Cause I think that that's an opportunity for you, especially with, you know, when people are, are back on the street again. Got it. Makes sense. Well, listen, Sammy, this is a great conversation. Um, I wish we had more time to talk, but hopefully you'll come back and give us some updates on what's going on with Snacklins. Um, your website is snacklins.com, S-N-A-C-K-L-I-N-S.com. Um, Sammy, what's your favorite product? Of mine? Oh, yeah. right now I'm super into the nacho. The nacho is getting released into stores slowly but surely, and it's good. And it's also dairy-free, in case you care. Nice. So it's yeah. delicious. Glad also, I got my, I got, we've been talking about production the whole time, and my marketing team staring at me from the corner. I just want to say shout-out to the marketing team. You guys are beautiful and amazing, too. <laughs> right. Well, thanks, Sammy. Great conversation. Yep. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. For more information on this podcast and other great tips and help and advice to help you run your small business, uh, please visit us at smallbizahead.com. Uh, this is Gene Marks, and thank you, John Adaconis, my very special co-host on this podcast, um, and we look forward to speaking and, and, and doing our next one very soon. Take care.